Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 66th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm super excited to chat with Steven Johnson, Director of Promotions and Community Relations with the Greensboro Grasshoppers, High A affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalog, everybody. There's 65 other great episodes with awesome people that work in minor league baseball with so many different backgrounds, including Hunter Hornstein, who made some news earlier this past week with the, uh, well, not really news, but just kind of made it very popular on Twitter with the beer bat down there in Myrtle Beach uh, that got picked up by uh, Barstool and everywhere else, Um, and they turned that into a great promotion um, that I love. Um, So go back and listen to all those great episodes with those great folks. And I'm going to continue to shout out the top cities that people are listening to the podcast in. So let me pull that up here. Over the last seven days, the top cities that listen to the Pulling Tower podcast are Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, San Bernardino, California, New Berlin, Wisconsin, Elyria, Ohio, I think I'm saying that right, Holly, Pennsylvania, New York, New York, Tempe, Arizona, Charlotte, North Carolina, Chicago, Illinois, and Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Shout out to all those fantastic cities that have been listening to the Pulling Tart podcast this past week. If you want an individual shout-out, it's very easy. Drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. I will personally shout you out the next episode. By leaving a rating and comment, that helps drive us up the charts, folks, and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N for all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tart Podcast. That's where you can also reach out to me to become a guest of the Pulling Tart Podcast. With that being said, let's chat with Steven Johnson from the Greensboro Grasshoppers. Steven, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Super excited to have you on. We've only interacted through Twitter so far, um, but I'm super glad to have you on the Pulling Tart Podcast. What did your extremely long off-season consist of, my friend? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to finally put a face with a uh, username. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, like a lot of every, like everyone else in this business... 
Uh, we didn't have a season last year. Uh, it started out pretty normal. Um, it, it just, you know, went downhill from there. We, uh, we were doing stuff around the ballpark to kind of get a winter ride because we figured out by, you know, the end of May, we probably weren't going to have a season. Um, so we were doing, putting things away that we had taken out, tables and chairs and whatnot. Um, and then on June 10th, uh, which is actually my birthday. Cool. Uh, most of the staff either got furloughed or fired. Oh, so thank, thankfully, I was one of the lucky ones to only get furloughed. So I got okay. to keep all of my health benefits and everything. That's um, good. So my wife and I just bought a house in April. So it gave us a lot of time to catch up on the honeydew list of things that probably would have taken us three or four years. Yeah. Uh, had, uh, had we had the baseball season like we normally did. Mm-hmm. So... The silver lining and everything got that done. Uh, I was able to do a little bit of uh, learning on my own. Did a lot of reading, uh, sales books, leadership books, self improvement. Um, nice. You know, really got to take a step back and just really, <clears throat> excuse me, work on myself. You know, sure. When yeah. you're in the middle of the baseball season, you don't have time to kind of step back and reflect uh, and take as much time as you really need to to see how you can improve yourself and improve your life so mm-hmm. it kind of gave me that self-reflection period to do that yeah i mean at least at least you're putting a positive spin on it man like yeah of course there's always a list of things to do like that you're not gonna get to but I'm glad you used it to your advantage um i saw another guest behind you um who who's that <laughs> that's ella she's our uh, miniature labradoodle okay she's uh giving me the eyes right now because she wants to go out and play oh okay well i just picked up Bo, my dog from daycare so that shows you how spoiled he is um <laughs> but yeah she's she's not getting any attention at any point during the day she is not happy yeah she is an attention hog yeah he's in his crate right now because he likes to um sit on the back of the couch and look out the window and mm-hmm. then he's he's half beagle, I'm pretty sure. And oh. he howls at people and dogs that walk by. So I can't trust him while I'm recording, obviously. <laughs> but glad glad that your dog's spoiled as well. Bo's not the only one. Yeah, she's a uh, she's quite the attention. <laughs> I'm sure. So your um, experience, your prior experience was. Mostly in ticket sales, right? I'm just wondering... So I actually had a weird transition as well. Not as weird... Well, a little bit weirder than yours. But how did you make the transition from ticket sales to director of promotions and community relations? Well, it's it's something I know I've always wanted to do. I've got a little bit more of a unique story than most people in uh, baseball. My dad actually has worked in minor league baseball for 40 years Mm. so uh, I grew up in a baseball stadium you know three days after I was born I was watching my first game wow so three rows behind home plate okay Uh, so I I grew up in the business and and have kind of been around all aspects of it and always knew that you know sales is is the number one priority of any minor league team sure and so you're always going to have to be able to sell a little bit so I knew I was going to have to get my foot in the door that way. And I knew I wanted to also be involved with promotions any way I could. Um, 
so I've, I've done sales the last seven years, and this opportunity opened up when our previous uh, promotions director took a college job. And so I put my name in the ring. I kind of took over towards the end of the 2019 season, the last couple of homestands. Okay. And after the season was over, they asked if I wanted the job before they put it out to anybody else. And so I accepted and was preparing for my first season before everything uh, went to hell in a handbasket. Right, right. I'm, man, that is a little bit different of a of a story. Um, I have not met one other person that ha- that works in minor league baseball that says that one of their parents worked in minor league baseball as well. Um, what teams did your dad work for? Uh, so I was born in Kinston, North Carolina. Okay. We ran the Kinston Indians for about 20 years. Okay. And then when I was 13, right in the middle of the eighth grade year over Christmas break, we moved across the country to Rancho Cucamonga, Ooh. where he ran the Quakes for, uh, I think it was three years. Okay. Um, it was a huge culture shock for me and my sister and my mom. and Yeah. You know, we weren't overly happy coming from a small southern town going to one of the biggest uh, cities in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 40 miles away from L.A. Right. On the traffic, it's either 40 minutes or four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. So we ended up moving back across to the East Coast when my dad got a job with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. Okay. He was there for four years. And then uh, he took over the Gwinnett Braves for about eight years uh and most recently he's been the president of the northwest league oh okay very cool so where's he stationed out of now in the northwest Um, yeah after he uh, left the Gwinnett job they bought a condo in panama city beach oh nice so he was planning on flying cross country he he took the northwest he got the northwest league job uh in august of 2019 Mm mm-hmm so he was flying back and forth across the country a couple right. times a month. Okay. And had a out where he could do that and run the league out of Florida. Yeah. And, you know, obviously with the pandemic, he didn't get to his first season. Right. So he's been keeping busy with the transition over to Major League Baseball and right. helping teams with that. Wow, that is, that is amazing. Very interesting. Did, um, when he was in Rancho Cucamonga... Did you guys cross paths with Chris Bitters as a, at all? Yeah, he was the assistant GM for like the first two years before uh, all the stuff with Bakersfield happened. Okay, yeah, because Chris was my general manager when I worked for Delmarva. Oh yeah, Chris's okay. still there. Yeah, yep. So I actually just saw him a couple weeks ago when I went to opening night. So that was rained out after an inning and a half. So. <laughs> I don't blame him. After a year and a half of, like, no baseball, you you got to open up the gates and at least start the yeah. game, you know? So yeah, We've already had our first rain out. Thankfully, it was a uh, Wednesday day game. So okay. It was an easier call than, you know, a Saturday fireworks show at the pre-sale of 5,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and you said that um, you were good buddies with with Austin and Hunter. I'm just interested to know 
to learn how you know those guys. And if you've listened to Snapbacks and Interbrews, which I hope makes a comeback, obviously, but... Yeah, I'm more so buddies with Austin. Okay. I've Hunter in passing a couple of times at the winter meetings. Okay. Um, Austin, uh, when he worked in Greensboro, I was actually part of the interview process for him. Oh, okay. Uh, me and the assistant general manager, Tim Vangel, interviewed Austin at the winter meetings. Okay. And, you know, Austin's a very strong personality. Yeah. And within 30 seconds of starting the interview, he and the assistant general manager, Tim, were immediately talking politics and religion. <laughs> so it was, I was completely turned off. <laughs> well, yeah, Austin it, does have a, what does he have, a theology degree or, or something yeah, like that? Some kind of religious studies degree. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we're here talking about a, a job in minor league baseball, and they're talking politics and religion out the gate. <laughs> and so that kind of turned me off on them. Yeah. He had a good personality and, you know, obviously had the right attitude for the job. But, you know, the interview lasted probably 20 minutes. Okay. And we get done, and Austin, you know, walks away, and we're getting ready for the next interview, and Tim looks over me and says, what do you think? I'm like, well, Tim, I think he's got a great personality, but... You guys did nothing but talk uh, politics and religion. I don't think he's the right fit for us. Yeah. He's like, no, he's, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. I'm going to call him after this next interview and offer him the job. Wow. I was like, all right, you know, uh, my uh, my dissension has been noted, essentially. <laughs> so he ends up getting the job um, at the winter meetings, and he comes in to check out the town on – January 2nd of mm-hmm. 2016 and I've got a townhome at the time I need a roommate he comes over and is checking out the place and we're talking and he says you know to be honest I think I'm just going to start living with my family in Durham to start with um, just to spend time with them I've yeah. been in Wisconsin for the last four years in college mm-hmm. so you know that's fine and uh, whatever he's like you want to go grab a beer or something though and get some dinner so well, actually, I've got a date tonight with this girl I've been talking to, uh, so I can't do that. But if you want to go tomorrow or whatever, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to be in Durham, but, you know, let me know how it goes. And this is the girl I end up marrying. Um, <laughs> nice. So Austin likes to tell that story anytime we're together with new people, that he uh, is my lucky charm as yeah. far as, you know, my wife goes. That's funny. That's so, so funny. And we've been buddies ever since. Yeah. I, yeah, Austin. I've lit, I've never met him in person. Like we've done Zoom calls, you know, exchanged you know conversations via Twitter, stuff like that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, he he seems like a very um, down to earth person, very easy easy person to get along with. I kind of forgot that he was with Greensboro and that didn't put two and two together that you guys would have overlapped until now. So. That's yeah. that is a good story. He is your lucky charm for sure. Yeah, Austin's <laughs> never met a stranger. That's for sure. That that is true. <laughs> I'm sure of it. That's awesome. Well, you also worked with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs uh, back in 2013. I actually just got a um, a tour of their stadium not too long ago, within the last year or so. Um, a buddy of mine that. I went to college with is actually 
I f- he just got promoted, but he was like director of tickets and sales there. Um, but you guys wouldn't have overlapped at all. But did you get a chance to try out some Philly cheesesteaks? I'm a big cheesesteak guy. If you did, which uh, yeah. place is the uh, best? I went to a Phillies game uh, with another intern mm-hmm. who was out of New Jersey, and we go to this uh, we go to the spot because I'd never had a, a real Philly cheesesteak before. Okay, like, you got to try it. You got to try it. It's it's the best one around, but nobody really knows about it. And I think it's since blown up because it was on you know one of the Travel Channel shows or something like that. But it was John's roast pork. Ooh, yeah. So. Uh, I've had that one and a couple other ones, but John's Rose Pork was, was definitely my favorite. Okay. All right. That's so awesome. I got the, uh, the steak with a little bit of provolone and some peppers. There you go. It doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> I I mean, being, so I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I'm from Williamsport, which is about three hours northwest of Philly, um, but still a big Philadelphia presence there. So... Um, I've had my fair share of cheesesteaks for sure. Um, really miss them in the Midwest. You can still get them down here. In, I'm in Delaware now. You can still get them down here in Delaware. They're still pretty good. But out there in Wisconsin, oh, it was a disaster. Like, you'd order one off the menu, and it was the worst one I've ever had. And it was... I don't, I don't, I don't understand because, like, they have all of the cheese in the world like they yeah. just they just got to put some good steak and a good roll on it and but they just can't do it i don't understand yeah i'm, I'm imagining you go there and ask for a cheesesteak and they bring out a brat smothered in cheese yeah yeah i mean brats are good don't get me wrong but yeah um so you've obviously traveled a lot traveled around a lot um, because your dad worked in minor league baseball, which I didn't know prior to this interview. But even in your professional career, what has made Greensboro the place to stick around? Uh, it's the city, you know, the, the people who work for the team, the support we have in the community. Uh, it, it really is kind of a different atmosphere. You know, and, um, it, it's kind of similar to Lehigh in that way, you know. Pennsylvania, you've got the blue-collar working folks who really live and die by the team and mm-hmm. are invested in the baseball. Uh, here in Greensboro, the people just want to support local. Um, you know, it, it, everybody who comes to the game, you're going to get the same 40 to 50% of people who come to every game, season ticket holders and uh, community leaders, but then you're also going to have you know the other 60% who are only coming to one or two games a year. But everybody is just so invested in the team locally and uh it makes it not easy to go around the town and talk about the team mm-hmm. um but it's definitely rewarding to be a part of an organization that is so valued by the community and greensboro is the city itself is is been one of my favorite cities i've ever lived in it's kind of got that big city feel but at the same time it's got that small southern city charm okay so, and the traffic isn't too bad either, which is nice. That is that is nice. <laughs> so, plus we're, you know, three and a half, four hours away from the beach, two hours away from the mountains, hour and a half away from Charlotte, hour away from Raleigh. 
Uh, so we're kind of right in the middle of everything. Okay. Very cool. Um, so how I'm just interested to, you know, I worked for a team in Wisconsin that was affiliated with the Oakland A's. Um, obviously not a ton of Oakland A's fans, you know, in the Midwest. Um, you, you had, you you had a few, you know, everybody was interested with Moneyball and, and that kind of stuff. And the A's have always been consistently okay, you know, um, but I'm just interested to see how, from your point of view, how the fans, um, resonate with the Pittsburgh affiliation. I've seen more Pittsburgh Pirates fans in the last two years here in Greensboro than I had seen in five years with Miami Marlins. Okay. Because uh, for the first five years I was here in Greensboro, we were with the Miami Marlins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team had been with the Miami Marlins since 2005, and they hear the GM and the AGM, everybody who's been here since the beginning, mm-hmm. talk about how much more support the Pirates have than the Marlins. Really? Okay. Uh, you know, we're, I met a fan uh, this past Friday night who drove down from Pittsburgh because uh, Baseball America has ranked the Grasshoppers as the top five talented team uh-huh. in minor league baseball with the amount of prospects we have. Okay. He, he drove down just for the day to see these guys play. And we never had that happen with the Marlins. Yeah. You know, we, we hadn't, you know, the Marlins hadn't really had any big prospects since I'd been through. But before I, I got to the grass hour, we had Christian Yelich and John Carlos Stanton and JT Real Muto and mm-hmm. uh, guys who were big prospects at the time but uh, didn't quite have the careers like they thought. Chris Coglin and Logan Morrison and um, unfortunately Jose Fernandez. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've seen more pirate stuff here than I have Marlin stuff. I've seen more pirate stuff at this homestand than I did really <laughs> Marlins. That's that's interesting because so I went to school at Slippery Rock, which is an hour north of Pittsburgh. Everybody that went there was from Pittsburgh. And you know, they were basically giving tickets away when I was in college to Pirates games. And like you just didn't really like yeah, of course you'd see like Pirates hats and you know stuff like that, but nobody I knew at a 9,000 student um, university was a die-hard Pirates fan, so I'm I'm like actually like pretty interested to you know to hear that that you've you've met a lot of Pirates fans here recently, and then uh, the Marlins moved their high A affiliation to Beloit, which is my old stomping grounds. So I'm interested to see how that goes as well. Yeah, it, uh, it was just an interesting situation. Yeah, when when our affiliation uh, came up, Pirates, mm-hmm. uh, you know, made a very hard play because I think they were ready to get out of the Midwest League and mm-hmm. be a little bit closer. And yeah, it, it's just another testament to Greensboro. You know, the fans around here have taken to the Pirates like a sponge to water. Uh, okay. You know, we sell Pirates gear in our store, and uh, we can't keep it in stock. So I think they're excited to, you know, it's always nice when you get something new, Yeah, but it's been three years now with the Pirates, and they seem just excited, you know, the day we signed with the Pirates. Okay, awesome. The black and yellow color scheme is pretty awesome, too, so I will yeah, give them it, that. It's a, it's a classic 
color scheme and it helps the pirates one of the original teams and have that rich mm-hmm. history too yeah so. of course yeah that that is super awesome for you guys that they're embracing that uh, so with your past in sales i i like to ask my salespeople this in your opinion what is the number one secret to sales I've actually got a, a two-pronged uh, approach to it. Right. It's confidence and relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have confidence in your product and product knowledge. You got to know what you're selling, but at the same time, you've got to make relationships with people. You know, you can't cold call somebody for five years and not remember what their middle name is. Right. You know, you've got to be able to keep those relationships going. But at the same time, you can't call somebody and make friends with them. And then they ask, well, you know, what do you got for for a business of my size? And then, you know, you give them a wrong package and then that ruins the whole thing. You've got mm-hmm. to be able to come up with something that's going to fit their needs more so than just giving them the, the top dollar product that you have. Right. You know, if a, if a mom and pop shop calls up and says, hey, I've got $15,000 for my from a marketing budget this year, what can you do for me? And you don't want to go out and pitch blow their $15,000 yeah. on an outfield sign. Right. You want to put something together that's, you know, maybe seven or $8,000. Right. Build, build that confidence and trust with them. So that way, that seven or $8,000 in the first year turns into $10,000 next year, turns into $12,000 the third year. Mm-hmm. And by the fourth or fifth year, you're getting $20,000. And yeah. they're trusting you to do what's right for them. And they're enjoying the baseball games, too. Yeah. I I do agree with that. You know, just, you know, you got to evaluate what their needs and what their wants are. And then, you know, work with their budget. And then, you know, just grow it a little bit each year. And, you know, that comes with with making a a great impression and having a great relationship. So I definitely, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. To make that great impression, you've got to have confidence. You mm-hmm. can't go into a meeting and, and be stumbling all over your words, trying to remember what pricing is for different signs or ticket packages. You've got to know it because right. if you go in there with that confidence, it's going to set that great first impression. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So this is your first season as director of promotions and community relations. What kind of cool promotions do you have lined up for the fans in Greensboro this year? So we've already run one of my favorite ones that we had on the schedule for this year. Uh, we celebrated everyone's birthday uh, last Saturday. Nice. So you know the whole premise of it was you know nobody could come out and celebrate their birthday at the ballpark last year. So we're just going to wrap everybody into one night. We gave party hats to all of our ushers, all of our game day staff. We had, uh, you know, the big happy birthday lanyards all over, everywhere. We sang happy birthday to the entire ballpark and after the seventh inning stretch. Um, so and it was just a really, a really fun time. We had all of our ushers and ticket takers wishing everybody happy birthday. And, <laughs> got a few crazy looks from some peoples, but uh, that's funny. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So our cam was blowing candles out on the birthday cake. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, with the budgetary restrictions we have this year, we have to get creative on what we can do and not spend a whole lot of money. And yeah, uh, that's been 
probably one of my favorite ones we've done so far. Okay, I like that. And this question never ceases to amaze me. What is the craziest situation that you've had to assist with during a game? So, uh, this, this wasn't a uh, grasshoppers game. It was a high school showcase. Okay. Uh, An uh, elderly gentleman fell over and had a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. And uh, it was our AGM, our vice president, uh, and me were closest to him. Our AGM ran to get the defibrillator. We got that hooked up to him. You know, he had a very weak heartbeat. Uh, the the defibrillator, you know, took care of everything. We we called nine one one, and uh, the ambulance got there and loaded him up and took him to the hospital. And uh, thankfully, he survived. Goodness, so yeah. That, uh, that's the first time anything like that had happened. And this has been a couple of years now. Uh, but that was definitely the craziest thing that I've been a part of at a ballpark. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> and, sure. And we've been a part of a tornado warning once, but that was before any fans got into the ballpark. Okay. Uh, in Kempston, back in like the early 2000s. Uh, I think it was like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and real bad thunderstorm was rolling around, and all of a sudden you hear the sirens going off, and uh, we're getting all the game day staff underneath the uh, concourse, you know, basically in the storage room. Right. Where all the dry goods are kept and just kind of waiting it out. Goodness. Um, the tarp did not go on the field. There was not enough time. Yeah, yeah. Also, too windy. <laughs> also, too windy. I will give Chris Bitters the... the um, the praise that he deserves. There have been a couple times here in Delmarva that we've started to roll the tarp out and we just can't get it on because it's too windy. And like, you know, people are starting to, you know, fly a little bit and he's just like, you know what? Let it, let it go. We'll, we'll pick it up in the outfield at 7am tomorrow. (laughs) You know? So I, I will give him credit for that. He didn't put anybody's life in danger. So, um all right let's see here all right so now you're involved in the promotions aspect what's the best and worst promotion that you've been a part of let's start with the worst so we can finish with the best all right Uh, the worst i've been a part of was uh we did it on the last game of the year it was actually my first year here in greensboro uh, it was fan appreciation night, so we decided we were going to do the Golden Gillies Award, basically to take off the Golden Gilfords or Golden Globes. Okay. Our mascot's name is Gilford, so right. that's where the Golden Gillie came out of. And the, the initial thought process was we'd actually have little Gilford Golden Gilford statues made, and we'd hand it out to players for MVP of the season, pitcher of the season. Uh, defensive MVP of the season, all that kind of stuff. And it just never happened. Yeah, it ended up being paper certificates that we handed out to the players. Uh, we, we were planning on doing some stuff with the season ticket holders, and then it turned out that some of the season ticket holders' feelings were getting hurt that they were being left out. And oh, gosh. It, it just turned into a mess. Okay. So, uh, that was probably the worst one I've been a part of. All right. Uh, 
I've been a part of, or at least my favorite one of those, was uh, Back to the Future Nights in 2015 with a uh, uh, exhibition game with Miami Marlins. And so we had specialty jerseys made based off of the Back to the Future movies. Um, GM dressed up like Doc Brown. You know, pregame, we had him come out of the tunnel with smoke and everything and a, a big old remote control. Uh, and it was just kind of a fun, a fun way to celebrate that, you know, the, the grasshopper players now are going back to the future to play for the Marlins soon. Okay. And that Marlins, that was the year the Marlins were stacked, you know. Ichiro, they had just signed Ichiro. Uh, Stan Yelich, Ozuna, and Rio Muto were still on the team. D. Gordon had just signed with them. Okay. Uh, so they had a really, a really good team. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, Stan comes up to bat in the first inning. Our pitcher throws a pitch. Stan looks at him and starts smiling. And the very next pitch, Stan hits it so far. That it goes over the protective netting in center field to keep balls from going into the street. Uh, it goes over the street and into the vacant lot. <laughs> it was probably a 500-foot home run. Wow. It was just ridiculous. That's incredible. Man, back to the future night. I like it. All right. So I, I'm a big food guy. What's the best stadium food at First National Bank Field? Uh, we, we don't have it this year uh, just because of COVID uh, impacts. But we had uh, uh, funnel cake French fries. Ooh. So it was funnel cake shaped like French fries and came in a little French fry cup. And you could get chocolate dipping sauce, caramel dipping sauce, strawberry dipping sauce. It Ooh. was a, uh, a much cleaner and more fun way to eat funnel cake that sounds delicious bring it bring it back uh we're i'm hoping we will now that everything's back open yeah North Carolina just announced on friday that everything's back open 100 percent. so all right awesome hopefully we'll start bringing some items like that back yeah for sure so um i didn't put this on the list that i sent you but what has been your favorite community outing to go to as the new director of community relations uh, probably the first tee of the triad uh, event that happens every year. So uh, for, for listeners who may, may not be familiar with First Tee, uh, it is an organization that helps underprivileged kids uh, get the opportunity to go out to golf courses and learn how to play golf uh-huh. uh, and helps you know, tutor them in their school studies and make sure they're, they're succeeding in the classroom while also learning a life skill uh, like golf. So the uh, first year of the triad does a big fundraiser every year where they, where they celebrate these kids and their accomplishments and they do a big fundraiser and they usually have, you know, a pretty big name guest come out and, you know, be kind of the guest of honor. Okay. Um, you know, Harold Barner the third came out a couple years ago, uh, Josh Teeter. Uh, so they've had some PGA tour professionals come out, um, they've had some up-and-coming PGA guys nice. uh, who haven't gotten their tour card yet. But that's always a fun event because it's uh, it's helping kids who are underprivileged and you know may not have ever seen even seen a golf course in real life before get the chance to do that. 
Okay. That sounds pretty cool. I needed something like that. I I have only played golf like four times in my entire life because I we didn't grow up with a lot of money and um, golf, you know, depending on where you're at in the country can be a very expensive hobby. Um, I've only golfed for, you know, like work events before. Um, but one of the ticket guys I worked with in Delmarva, he has his PGA card. Um, oh, wow. I, I should, um, just like hire him for the day and just buy him like two cases <laughs> of beer. Um, but yeah, I, I needed something like that to, to introduce me to the game instead of, you know, my first time playing was like 25 years old. So yeah, I grew up playing a lot of golf and then kind of fell off once I went to college cause there were other more fun things to do with my friends. And, yeah. Uh, didn't play a whole lot until actually, you know, this past summer when sure. I had a whole lot of free time on my hands. I, I really got back into it. And, uh, now instead of shooting 130, I'm, I'm only shooting 110. So okay. There you go. It's not about how you shoot. It's about going out and having fun and just enjoying the day. Yep, Exactly. All right, so you've probably been doing tarp pulls since you were, I don't even know how old, like 10? I don't i don't know. But this is the Pulling yeah, Tarp Podcast, um, so I always like to ask folks if they have any crazy tarp stories. Uh, yeah, I've been pulling the tarp since I was 10 years old, literally. <laughs> um, my first tarp pull was at 10 years old in Kenston. Okay. Uh, so th- this will be a two-parter. I've got one for when I was in Kenston and then one when I was in Hickory. All right. Uh, with my first full-time job. Uh, in Kenston, I want to say it was 2002 or 2003. Uh, it was, you know, end of September. The uh, Kenston Indians were in the playoff hunt. I think we had three games to go before the end of the season, and we were like a game out of first place. So there was a chance we could host playoff games. Well, this was also about the time that Hurricane Isabel was bearing down on North Carolina. Ooh. So, uh, thankfully, I think the team was in, like, Potomac or somewhere. Um, So they were all safe. But Isabel, I think, was getting to be a pretty pretty serious storm. Right. So, you know, most most of the town had evacuated because Kempston, for the most part, is in a floodplain. Um... And plus, there's only maybe four, probably three or four full-time staff for the Indians at that time. Okay. So, with the chance of hosting playoff games and a hurricane bearing down on us with a torrential downpour, uh, my dad made the decision to put the tarp on the field. And everybody had evacuated, so it was literally just me and him. Okay. We got out there the day before the hurricane was supposed to hit Kenston. And it took us about an hour between my 43-year-old dad and 13-year-old me. Wow. (laughs) To put the tarp on the field. Yikes. 
And so, of course, we get the tarp on the field, and the baseball team ends up losing three in a row to mess out in the playoffs. <laughs> I I have pulled tarp with four people before. Um, I think I started one with, with two people, but it didn't get very far. Um, but that one, man, that breaks every record I I know of. Um, I mean... We didn't actually roll. We didn't roll the tube out. We we tied that up to the gator. Yep. And, and got the got the roll out that way. And then we just had to take it. You know, two handles at a time, going from one side to the next. Right. Pulling as far as we could go. Go down the line, pulling that. I mean, it took us a good hour and a half to get the tarp on. I'm sure. And yeah, it it uh, it was an interesting day. I'm, so, I'm sure. I'd heard my dad say some words that I'd never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, man, that's, wow, that, that, I think that breaks all the records, man. Like, I've never heard of anybody successfully pulling a tarp with two people before, so, all right. Yeah, the, uh, the other one was in Hickory. Uh, it was my first full-time job in 2014. And it's one of those classic scenarios where you see the thunder, thunder clouds rolling in and it's popping with lightning. There's, you know, big claps of thunder. And we've got a 20-year-old hero umpire who's following the rule book uh, to the left. Yeah. So, you know, we're sitting down there getting ready. We're ready for tarp. We're all, we've all got our tarp clothes on. Got all got our rain jackets. And it starts raining. And our GM, Mark Seaman at the time, is, is looking at the umpire going, you know, what are you doing? It's starting to rain. There's lightning in the area. You know, pull the guys off the field. Let us put this on. And the umpire looks directly at him and goes, no. Okay. And so it starts raining a little bit harder. And now Mark is yelling at the umpire, yeah, let's go, let's go. And he's throwing a few more adjectives in there. And the umpire is just like, no, this is my show. You'll pull right. the tarp when I say so. Yep. And the bottom drops out. And finally, you know, 10 seconds after the bottom drop out, the umpire pulls the guys off the field, looks at the umpire, or looks at Mark, gives him the thumbs up and says, you guys can come on. And so we start to get the tarp out, and we get stuck before we reach the pitcher's mound. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the hardest rains I've ever seen in Nicker. And so, of course, third base gets flooded, home plate gets flooded. You know, it's a waterfall up the pitcher's mound. The players have gone into the clubhouse. In Hickory, the clubhouse is down in left field, kind of like a lot of the old, older ballparks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the field umpire, the umpire who was in the field, had gone off to their clubhouse because he didn't want to wait in the dugout. Um, but the home plate umpire, uh, Mr. Hero, stayed in the home dugout. Uh, because that's what the rule book told him to do. So he's sitting there, and the home dugout starts to flood because the drains get clogged. Ah. And now he's stuck. He can't get out. So the water level, you know, raises all the way up to the bottom bench where he's got his feet, mm-hmm. and then it finally starts to spill over onto the warning track. And just as soon as it started raining, it stopped. You know, clouds clear away. Sun right. comes back out, and the umpire is talking to Mark. Mark is on the warning track, leaning into the dugout, and the umpire is stuck on the bench. And it's a good, you know, eight feet away. Yeah, he can't make the jump. 
And so finally the umpire is like, all right, you know, we have to wait 30 minutes now that it's stopped raining to see if we can play. And we're all looking at the field going, bro, we can maybe play water polo. Yeah. We're not playing baseball today. Right. <laughs> so he waits 30 minutes in the dugout because he's stuck. He refuses to leave the dugout. Finally, the 30 minutes are up. The field umpire has is, is come back out on the field, and he's leaning over the railing of the dugout to talk to the home plate umpire. They agree to bang the game, finally. And uh, the home plate umpire is like, all right, how do I get out? He's like, well, you can either wait for it to drain, he or can you swim. climb on Stephen's back, and he'll give you a piggyback ride out of the dugout. <laughs> umpire is like, I am absolutely not climbing on his back in front of all these people. So the GM said, well, you can either do that or you can wait till everybody leaves. It's your call. Yeah. And he waited till everybody left the ballpark, <laughs> which, to be fair, there was only maybe 150 people by that point. Right. But, you know, he had to make sure every single person was out of the ballpark who wasn't part of the front office staff to see him climb on my back and take four steps out of the dugout so he wouldn't get his feet wet. You literally put the umpire on your back, bro. Yeah. He did. <laughs> oh he did. my gosh. The only the only thing like better that that could make that story better would be to tell me that he's now in the majors. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> you don't remember his name? No. Okay. No, I, I, I repress that memory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. He's probably on a crew with Joe West and Angel Hernandez, so <laughs> That's awesome. Um uh, so I had this question in here before I realized that your dad worked in minor league baseball and you you lived on the West Coast for a while, um, but I wanted to ask, how did you become an Angels and a Chargers fan? Well, the Chargers but, uh, is a little misleading. I was a Phillip Rivers fan. Um, you know, growing up in North Carolina, Phillip Rivers went to NC State and yeah. uh, was one of the and, you know, all-time best quarterbacks come out of the North Carolina colleges. Right. And he got drafted, you know, six months after we moved to California. Okay. So, you know, I've always been more of a Panthers fan, but, you know, Philip Rivers made it easy to follow the Chargers. Right. Um, but the Angels, you know, we moved out there right after they won the World Series. Uh, so Southern California belonged to the Angels and not the Dodgers at the time. Yep. The, uh, the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes were an Angels affiliate. And I was a bat boy as my first, you know, real job. Okay. If you can call it a real job. Yeah. So I was in the clubhouse all the time, you know, doing stuff with, you know, playing cards and, you know, running around on the field. And, you know, almost an unofficial member of the team, you know, with the other bat boys. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the Angels had guys coming through Rancho, like Eric Ibar and Howie Kendrick and uh, Jared Weaver, you know, just all these guys that went on to make up the later 2000s part of the Los Angeles Angels Major League team. Yeah. So it made it real easy to to fall in line with the Angels. And, you know, we were were 40 minutes away from Anaheim, so the Angels gave the team season tickets and Anytime the Quakes didn't have a home game, Dad would take me to Angel Stadium. We'd watch games there. And, That's cool. Uh, went to the few playoff games against the Red Sox where Manny Ramirez absolutely crushed us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, just just being – it was my first uh, 
the first major league game I remember going to. Okay. Uh, so you get that attachment to it. And, you know, the Angels are really good at the time with Vlad Guerrero and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it made it easy to fall in love with the team. And who doesn't love the rally monkey? True. Very true. Um, your first job was way better than my first job. My first job <laughs> was a garbage man. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll take being a bad boy every day. Yeah, for sure. Man. My favorite is when, like, and I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but, like, especially in Beloit, just because, you know, they're Beloit. Um, and, like, on day games, the, the head groundskeeper would be the bat boy. I mean, I just, like, I loved it just because he was such a cranky old man. And he was he was the bat boy for the day. It was awesome. Yeah, when we were at Myrtle Beach, I had to fill in as a bat boy a couple of times. And I was in high school by this point. Yeah. And I, I'm six six. I don't know if you if you know that. No, I didn't know that. Okay, six six, and I'm towering over these you know professional baseball players as a bad boy. And <laughs> my dad always liked to make fun of me for it. Oh yeah, that's so funny! Wow. <laughs> uh, where can the listeners find you on social media, Stephen? Uh, so on Twitter, it's at underscore south underscore. All right. Um, I've always been called South pretty much my entire life. All right. Uh, my dad's name is North. Oh. So we've been either uh, South or uh, West or East, and South just kind of stuck. So you're, you're like and you're I, like Kanye. Yeah, he like he liked my dad's name so much he stole it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So you just you're so you don't want to plug anything else? Just Twitter. Uh, Twitter's the one I use mostly. Yeah. yeah. Instagram I don't use too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Twitter I'm, I'm fairly active on. All right. Uh, and you can follow the Grasshoppers, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at GSO Hoppers. There we so. go. All right, perfect. And so you've listened to a couple episodes, I know. Um, and I end with the same question every time. During your minor league baseball career, what has been your favorite walk-up song, and whose was it? Uh, so, I, I don't remember the player's name. It was in Myrtle Beach my first year. Uh, but it was Your Love by the Outfield. Okay. And he was, I, I don't think he ever made it to the big leagues, but he was one of those players that, for whatever reason, the crowd just attaches to. Mm-hmm. Whether it was his walk-up song or the way he played the game. But the crowd would just go nuts and start singing along to it. Uh, oh. So that easily became my favorite walk-up song. And, uh, nice. It, it's probably one of my most played songs on my Spotify playlist. Now. It is a great song. Somebody, one of my guests, said that not too long ago. I can't remember which one, but but we'll run it. We'll run it back here. And um, I just want to say thank you, Stephen, for taking the time on your off day. Um, to, to come on to the Pulling Tart podcast, and uh, I really appreciate it. No, I'm glad to do it. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to join the, uh, the great list of guests you've had. And it's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.